everyone, and welcome to the VBCA podcast, a Building Code Geeks podcast. With me on today, I have Mr. Travis Luter, who is a code and regulation specialist for the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development, as well as the secretary to the State Building Code Technical Review Board. How are you doing today, Travis? I'm doing great, Miss Jackson. How are you? I'm good. So, Travis, um, before we move along, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how long have you been in the code profession? Okay, um, so I got started in uh, in the code profession back in 2004. Uh, honestly, it was the schedule that was the most attractive to me. I had two young children and um, I had been working in the HVAC world, which was, you know, 80, 90 hours a week and not much family time. And so that's what drew me to it. And um, and so I got started with Isle of Wight County doing inspections and um, promoted through there to plans examiner and and uh, eventually left there as a, to be a building official for uh, Sussex County. And so wow. at that at that point, I, I was uh, I had been in the industry, I guess, then for about uh, six or seven years. And um, that was where I wanted to be was was code official. And so I was a building official there for a little over eight years and um, and enjoyed it, um, you know, had had been there for a while. Um, it was kind of a new department, so to speak. There hadn't been a building official there for like a year and a half. So there was a lot of work to be done, a lot of policies to create, lots of things to do. Um, and so we, we were we were really busy um, getting things set up. And uh, I left there in 2016 and uh, I was just looking for something different. Um, I had pretty much explored all the options for code enforcement from field inspections to code official. Um, and so I was looking to um, see see what the other side of the coin looked like. And so I started looking at DHCD uh, positions and this position for what is now called code and regulation specialist was available and and I applied and was was hired for that position. And so I've been there since 2016 and uh, not long after being there, maybe a year or so, um, the current secretary to the review board left. And so that po that position came available and the deputy director, Miss Davis, um, and I had a discussion about it. And so lo and behold, uh, I become the secretary to the review board uh, in about the beginning of 2018. And um, I guess, as they say, the rest is history. I've been there since then um, working with you and, and the other board members. Uh, do you like your job? I do like it. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. I, I may get in trouble for telling this story, but uh, uh, Miss <laughs> oh, Davis. I love stories. I love stories. Miss <laughs> Miss Cindy Davis sends me to a a review board meeting when I first got started, and and it was a rather rather tough meeting. And so I come back, and she says, "Well, how do, what do you think about the review board?" I said, "Man, if I had to do that every day, I think I'd quit. That was terrible." <laughs> And uh, so, so, you know, I didn't think any more about it. And, you know, several months down the road, you know, uh, the, the previous secretary leaves. He takes a job elsewhere. And and uh, and so Cindy says, hey, I, I think this would be a good fit for you. And I'm, I'm scratching my head going, she must not have heard what I said a few months ago. But uh, but anyway, the, the, the cool part about it was that the uh, the secretary that was there had gone. So I didn't have anything to do with with that individual. And um, mm -hmm. most folks probably know Vernon Hodge. He had been there for a number of years and he had mm -hmm. at one point been the secretary and he had about six months to retirement. 
So he wasn't real hip on a whole lot of, you know, putting up with the new guy either. So I kind of got to take this thing and make it my own. Um, Made a ton of mistakes, did a lot of stuff wrong. Um, But, you know, the board was very gracious and patient. Uh, Mr. Allen at the time was was the chair, um, Mm -hmm. very patient with me as I worked through it. And um, and, and so I've kind of had the opportunity to sort of make this thing my own um, Mm -hmm. and create you know, policies and procedures for the secretary position, kind of how we do things and in what order um, is kind of driven by state law. But how I get to that point, um, I've been able to create those processes and sort of make it my own. And so having the ability to do that, and even though I was following, you know, a couple of folks' footsteps, it really didn't have to do what they did or the way that mm-hmm. they did it. And so I had the ability to, um, to do it the way I wanted to, as long as, of course, I was doing things uh, within the, the requirements and the confines of, of state state code. And, um, you know, Cindy and Jeff, you know, they were great in just saying, here it is, make it your own and make it work and make it work best for you. And so, you know, we made a, a, a giant transition from book and paper to electronic. Um, and so, you know, all the records were paper copies in books on a shelf um, that you had to kind of go thumb through. Uh, I spent a tremendous amount of time scanning all the historical documents of the review board, decisions, minutes, uh, previous interpretations, all of those things, creating them um, and electronically so that we could search them. And they became a lot more user friendly uh, because of that. Um, and not to mention a lot of folks that that knew, you know, Vernon knew Vernon could mm-hmm. recall things from 20 years ago vividly. Mm-hmm. And and I wasn't around, you know, mm-hmm. so I needed to find a way to be able to do that. And um, and so that was one of the big tasks I did up front was just to get everything electronically. So the review board looks a lot different now than it did when I took it on. Um, and so in my opinion, I think having things electronically, having some policies in place, some some procedures, the board is, has given me some authority to do things a different way. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that the combination of those have really kind of streamlined this position and made it, um, It's I wouldn't say easier because there's nothing really easy about the position, but right. easier to get the job done because you got a nice clean roadmap um, by which to follow. Right. And so that is very interesting for our listeners to hear how you came into the position. The position had um, a longstanding member, a longstanding uh, employee who had done this for a while. And what we've always been talking about in our industry right now is that, you know, you have all this knowledge that walks out the door, you know, how are we going to make sure that we're encouraging young people to come into, you know, the code profession, even as a code and regulatory specialist, you know, how are we going to get more people to get involved and come into the door and be a part of that process? And I think that it's really good for our listeners to hear how, there was a longstanding employee, they left and you came in and you made it your own and you were able to not only make it your own, but bring it to the 21st century with the documentation being provided electronically, making the processes run a little bit smoother. And what can you also say to 
um, the appreciation that probably came from the process from the board to the localities to the people who, you know, the appellants that would, you know, have to come. How did that process, uh, changing those processes, make it better for running the technical review board? Well, some of the stuff was being done electronically um, when I took it over, like email communications. However, there were still some letter writing and, and for lack of better words, snail mail. And mm -hmm. so um, being able to go 100% electronic um, gave us the opportunity to um, not only better, faster, and easier to communicate with the parties involved, but mm -hmm. it also expedited the process, you mm -hmm. know, because now we don't have to wait for the mail service and to get a return receipt that they got it and that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, because a lot of the emails that I will utilize throughout the processing of an appeal will require a response. And so mm -hmm. that becomes a way that we know that they're getting the information. And if they don't, within a day or two, it's easier to follow up. So I think one of the greatest things about streamlining this process has been um, is been able to just move through the process a little bit faster. Because for those of you who don't know, to process an appeal at the local level, you know, it's a 30 days. You got to you got to go in and in 30 days on a building code you know, you got to have a local board hearing uh, 14 days on a maintenance code. And so that's relatively quick. But yes. once you once you further appeal to the review board at the state level, now there's a lot more requirements. You know, state law requires certain um, communications. Then you got to give certain time frames. There's a time frame um, layout on the website that, that I also use in some of the training. It sort of gives the earmarks for how long it takes. But, you know, if you have a, a full capacity, all the pieces of the puzzle type of an appeal, it's a, it's almost a 120 days to get that before the board because of the way you have to do it. You know, if you have an informal fact finding that you need to do um, things like that, just, it just takes longer and so being able to do it electronically and email and um, it just gets a little bit faster I would say on average now we're probably getting cases in front of the board more like the 80 90 day range because wow. we have the ability to get them in quicker number one mm -hmm. um, number two we can communicate electronically so we can exchange information a lot faster we can we can um, you know, staff can process it, see what's needed, send an email out. I'm missing this document, that document. Can you clarify this or that? And it, it's almost not completely, but it's almost eliminated the need for an informal fact finding because we can do that kind of communication. Um, now, if it's something specific uh, mm -hmm. process wise, I can talk to one party or another, but mm -hmm. by and large to ensure um, expertee communication doesn't take place, I send that communication to all parties. So let's just say I'm asking for instance, um, I need a copy of the local appeals board application. I don't mm -hmm. necessarily ask one party or the other. I send it to everybody and whoever has it, they can send it back. Um, and so everybody sees all communication. It's very transparent and, uh, and we're able to get that information faster. And so if we can get the information faster um, and we can get that clarification, then we can cut out the informal fact finding requirement and that, that kills 30 days right there. And so it helps get the folks who are filing the appeals through the process, through the process a little faster because 
you know, by the time they get to us, and I say us because it's, you know, you're you're a member of the review board. Mm-hmm. By the time they get to us, these cases are months and months, you know, old and people are frustrated and they're just yes. they're looking to get some sort of resolution. And so anything that we can do to try to expedite that, um, you know, is helpful. And yes. And so one of the other things that has helped with the process to speed it up as well has been uh, preliminary hearings. Uh-huh. So if we find jurisdictional issues, uh, I kind of, I sort of hone in on that one thing or two things, if that's what the case may be, whether it's timeliness or properness before the board or, you know, right of appeal, things of that nature. And the board has tasked me with saying, bring those first. And um, so, you know, if I have something like that, then I actually can cut that 90-day period down even less because the first thing that the board has directed me to do is bring that preliminary problem and let's address that. And if the and if the the parties cannot overcome the jurisdictional issue, then the case may be dismissed then. If they can, then we come back at a subsequent meeting and and I put forth the merits of the case. Um, so in that particular instance, and, and as you know, we've had a few of those here the last few meetings, I may only have 60, 60, 70 days between the time they filed the appeal and getting that first preliminary hearing. Mm-hmm. It's it's not always the it's not always the answer they want. It may not always be the end of the case, but it's like anything else. If we can keep the ball rolling and right. things are happening and people feel like they're getting processed, they right. feel good about the process. And so that's right. just a way that the board gave me direction to say hey, let's get these folks here as quickly as we can because we right. see this one glaring problem. If we can get over that, then we can get the next one. And even then, we're going to be you know, in that 120-day frame, time frame um, with the entire case, but we can also cut it down in half if need be if it's just a jurisdictional issue um, that's, gonna, that's not going to get beyond that point. That's, that's a very good point, Travis. You know, um, in everything that we do, we try to, you know, be friendly, customer friendly, um, and everybody to feel like they are getting their due process, you know, that there's not been no delay in their due process. So I think, you know, everyone involved, whoever's had a appeal case can appreciate, you know, your due diligence and trying to make sure that, you know, we move along, everybody gets in front of the appeals board and, you know, the, that there's been fair due process in the whole appeal process. So we appreciate that. Well, and, and I appreciate the kind words and I, uh, you know, I, I tell folks all the time you, as a secretary, I, I have no, uh, no authority. I don't get a vote. I'm neutral. And, and my job is to do the best I can to take this information for a property owner, contractor, or in some cases, the locality and, and to try to help paint the prettiest picture that we can for that board to look at because they've not been on site. They haven't seen the building. And so, you know, if I'm looking at this thing from that perspective, I can kind of see where some of the holes are and mm-hmm. try to help them fill in the picture. Um, and I, and and that's for both sides because I am a neutral party and I don't have anything um, in any skin in the game, so to speak. You know, I don't, I can't, I can't help them win or lose. I can only help them provide as much information as they can. Um, and one of the other questions that you had asked me too was about just how do we get youth and younger folks into the code industry? Um, you know, I'm 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 certainly not. I don't fit that category. You know. 
I'm in my <clears throat> late 40s, um, you know, so I'm not in the young category. But, you know, I, I'll also look at the fact that when I come to DHCD, uh, you know, uh, Val Ray Nagley retired. Uh, Lorenzo Dyer just retired. Uh, within a year or two, Vernon retired. Uh, shortly after that, Eric Leatherby and Skip Harper retired. So, you know, that was five people within a matter of three or four years that retired. So clearly, DHCD, State Building Code's office, had a great amount of knowledge, but they had a lot of folks that were kind of towards the end of their career. And so, you know, when I got there, I kind of was the young guy. Like, wow, I'm looking around <laughs> thinking, I mean, I'm kind of am the young guy. But um, fast forward three or four years, and now I'm I'm one of the old guys because now we've got some really, really good young talent there with um, Florine is there, Florine Maldivon, uh, Paul Mesplay. Uh, we just, uh, just had a new hire, uh, uh, Chris Scott. Thomas King is there, um, you know, Chad Lambert. We got a lot of young folks that are just super sharp and and always willing to help. And so uh, kudos to to Cindy and Jeff who have really recruited and gotten some nice, some nice young folks to work with the, with the agency on the code enforcement. I mean, not on the code development side and not the code enforcement side. So we've, we've got a, we've got a great team built, but I do see and hear from the localities often um, that it's tough to get young folks to come in. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a 20 year old, you know, and I'm sitting here looking at him thinking, my God, I can help you, uh, you know, get into this field and it's wide open and there are tons of jobs and I mean, just a, a variety of opportunities that, right. you know, you have a great resource sitting at home with you that could help you. And uh, mm-hmm. he has absolutely no interest. And I just, I'll be honest, I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's a challenge and, and and I wish I had a better answer, but, um, you know, just I, I go out occasionally and I talk to a couple of high schools and I try to, you know, I try to appeal to some of the folks that are friends of my, my young, my young men to, to try to help. And it's just, I think it's just going to take us all doing a lot of talking about it uh, and just keep, keep telling folks because it's, it's a little different now than it used to be. Um mm-hmm. You know, years ago, it was a lot of firm kind of iron fisted enforcement because the code was relatively new and the guys coming up into, you know, the 80s and 90s, it was just tough. And now it's changed. Now it's more collaborative. Now it's not about, hey, this is what the code reads. This is what you have to do. A lot of times we get in the room and say, okay, what can we do together collectively to make this work and to achieve compliance? And and I believe that the younger generation works much better in that collaborative kind of atmosphere. And we need to get that word out that, hey, right. this is how we do it now. And I think that would be one thing that would would kind of open some eyes and maybe make some younger folks go, hey, okay, so we can do this sort of like we did in school. We had group projects and collaboration for this or that. Um, and so I, I think that's one thing we need to really tell folks that's how we can do it. And that's how we're doing it now. Uh, and, and so it would really encourage them to maybe come in. I, other than that, I just keep telling everybody in the world about it because it's a great industry that mm-hmm. is in, is in need. Right. Thank you for being my biggest cheerleader on this podcast, Travis. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> for, hey, I, for getting the word out because that's part of the uh, VBCOA initiative of creating the podcast is, you know, um, studies show that 
young people are getting more and more of their information and their wealth from podcasts. So thank you for, you know, painting a picture of what it's like to be in the code profession and the endless possibilities of being in the code profession. So, you know, thank you for, for doing that. <laughs> well, and, and it really, it, it really is. I mean, it's a, it's a great profession to be in. And, and like I say, I've been in it now for, for 20 years or so. Um, it's it's just a great profession to be in for a variety of reasons. You know, it's it's um it's a great schedule and and you know it's a it's good conducive to families and you know young folks that maybe want to do other things. So you know the schedule is always important to people. And then from there, you know, you got it's just a from localities to state, the benefits are are great. Um, you know, the pay is fair, and you know it's just it's just a good place to be in my opinion and um i just would i would love to see more young folks come in mentors to spend the time um you know just and, and this podcast is a great thing I, i'll be the first one to tell you i don't listen to podcasts very often because it took me forever to figure out where i even find them <laughs> you know i just i'm just not really savvy with that but you know now that i have been involved with this one and listening to it now i find myself listening to other podcasts about other things and and it is it's a great way to get some information to jump in the car listen to some podcasts and not turn on the radio um and and so kudos to you for getting this thing off the ground because i, I think this is going to be a definitely going to be a phenomenal piece of the puzzle going forward right and you know there's not too many podcasts out there talking about being a code geek <laughs> <laughs> no no it's not no it is not that is for sure so but it's uh it's it's good it's really it really is good i've enjoyed the ones that i've heard so far well travis thank you so much um if anyone needed to get in contact with you how would they go about doing that yeah so uh you could you could always reach out to me um at the state building codes office uh, my cell phone number office number whatever you want to call it it's uh 804 371-7163. Uh, you can always shoot me an email at travis.luter at dhcd.virginia spelled out.gov. Uh, and either of those two things, uh, you can get me most anytime. I try to get back with everybody um, the same day if possible, but if not, uh, I'll definitely get back with you in the morning. Uh, one other thing, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to, to put a plug in here is Go ahead. Um, I've been doing uh, a lot of training of local boards around the state. Um, it's it's, it's kind of slow going. We really got started on it, uh, pushing for it when I first got involved back in 2018, 19 timeframe. And then COVID hit and we did a couple of them electronically. But it's sort of taken off and I've already done three this year. Well, December and then two more. So and I've got a couple others I'm scheduled to do but I will come out to any locality in the Commonwealth and I'll provide training for your local board of building code appeal so if you got new board members or in, in some cases I went out and there was a, a whole new board that they had just been um, reestablished um, give me a call I'll come out we'll get something scheduled I'll come out and I'll do training in your locality whenever it's convenient for you you're not locked into like the nine to five work day a lot of times I do these sessions from like six to eight at night because we understand that uh, localities, uh, board members are volunteers. Most time they got a, got their own jobs during the day. So, you know, we do anything we can to accommodate that it's in your locality. And best of all, there's no cost whatsoever. 
Um, you know, I just need a meeting space and somewhere to put up a presentation and a couple hours of your time and, and we'll be there uh, and we'll provide that training for them and we'll be, we'll be there as long as we need to. I, I did one uh, a couple of, eh, been about a month ago and, um, the training was from six to eight and I finally left the government building at 1030. Oh, so, wow. you know, a lot of folks were mulling around at the end, had some additional questions and just chit chatting and talking. Wow. So it's a really good time and it's good for the members. Um, and, and equally I can do training for your, um, for your code enforcement folks, if you want. And if, and if you want to do that, certainly I can do that at your locality, but uh, a little, a little punch in here for VBCOA is I'll be at the mid-year conference here in another month or so, and we got about a four-hour session on appeals, um, and the the the, uh, the the education chair and I have communicated, and she's kind of giving me what she wants. So I'm I'm actually in the process of uh, drafting a training specific to what she wants, but it's gonna gonna be all about appeals. We're gonna kind of do a little bit about the review uh, of the the local board, uh, but that's what we've sort of specialized on or, or specialized on the last two trainings has kind of been the local board but we're going to do a little bit about that and then we're going to pick up at the review board and we're going to talk about what happens to that and where a case goes after it leaves a local board um, and really get into details i've got some historical cases that we'll talk about some really good ones that are fairly recent you know in the last four or five years um, that'll be relevant to some folks in the room but that's a big training that we'll do at the, at the mid-year conference down in Harrisonburg. So for anybody that hadn't signed up for that, sign up and come on. Let's fill the room up and uh, and let's get some folks in there. We'll we'll try to try to answer all the questions that we can. As Travis stated, VBCOA mid-year conference is uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia, March 26 to the 27, 2023. If you like more information in regards to the mid-year conference, you can visit our website at bbcoa.org slash mid-year conference. Travis, thank you so much for your time. This has been a very insightful, great interview for our podcast listeners. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and Everyone, this has been a VBCOA podcast, a Code Geeks podcast. Until next time. <laughs>